What's up, everybody? I am James DeFiore, and this is Blackballed. I met our guest today um, when I was doing the Dean Blundell podcast. And um, it was interesting because uh, I wasn't a big uh, radio guy when it came to rock and roll and things like that. Like, I was, you know, Psychedelic Sunday kind of thing for me. Um, so my DJ, my breadth of DJ knowledge growing up was all aimed towards the hip-hop guys, which were few and far in between in Toronto at the time. And so I, I, after that show with Dean, I, you know, I, I talked to Dean a little bit about Jeff Woods, our guest today. And, you know, there, there are certain people in certain industries that, that are, um, that have grown to be these humble people who are completely revered by their peers. Um, they, they just did it the right way. You know, they, they didn't play politics in the industry and that's why they were good at politics in the industry. It's like, you know, one of those people that um, in the eyes of their peers seems to have a really good reputation. And if he doesn't, I'm sure he will let me know today. <laughs> so please welcome our guest here, Jeff Woods. Jeff, what's up, buddy? It's nice to see you. Thanks for the invitation to join you. Oh, no problem. I'm sorry you're not feeling well today. Jeff has a head cold. So we're going to well, pray for Jeff. Yep. I didn't have, I did a COVID test uh, on the way to Buffalo last week because I wanted to go see Tool and I felt really shitty all day. And I thought, I bet I'm going to be positive for COVID because you don't know until you know. Yeah. It was negative. And I thought, that's amazing. So the bugs that we were getting before the masks came off are back. So, I, yeah, I it's starting. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never had the reflex. Like, I, I, I was a guy that never got sick my whole life. Like, I was like, I, I hardly ever got sick. The only time I got sick was when I was lying about my cocaine hangovers. <laughs> Those are the, <laughs> like the only time I remember getting sick, for real. Um, Allegedly, the worst hangovers in the history of hangovers. So I read that somewhere. It comes with such high level of emotional baggage. It's just... It's the worst. It, you feel like your body feels like it physiologically went through a very fresh breakup. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Everything was fine. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then and, they leave and you're like, you know. All that. And I would put forth that death might be a more suitable alternate for that day in your life. Yes. And because the thought in your head is, li it, but it is, it, you know, the thought in your head is this. Oh, everyone would just be way better off. Seriously. Like, <laughs> you're almost doing them a favor. <laughs> Including yourself at that point. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, <clears throat> Allegedly. I, I, you bought a, a motorcycle. And the first um, music that you wanted, that you played in that motorcycle was Rush. And I'm not making fun of that. Um, uh, I, I'm, I don't understand Rush. Uh, let's get back to that, actually, because I'm this not- This I don't even remember, but if you read it, it's true. Yes, it, mu it must be true. Um, now, this is a quote, I think, for when your book came out. Um, so I think I'm pulling it from an interview in 2016, I think, or something like that. And um, but you said that you, you you interviewed somebody and was inspired by that person and um, and uh, to buy a bike. So you bought a bike and you said you listened to Rush or something like that. Or maybe what you said was if I was 14. And, and I was in a motorcycle, uh, I would be listening to Rush, something like that. It, it was it was it was this as it relates to what you're saying, because it's, it's, it's factual to the degree that it was Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush, rest his soul, that inspired me to get a, a different motorcycle. I was riding uh -huh. um, Honda at the time, and then I went to Custom, and then I went to ha Harley, and somewhere in between I went to the bike he was riding, which was the uh, uh, the Beamer. 
the, the adventure bike, a wonderful mm. bike. I went to Vancouver and I bought one based on his recommendation. And so I, I just thought it was interesting because that was sort of the band that if you were a kid in Oshawa at the age of 14, that, that was a band you had to love. That was part of being a 14-year-old. Listen, I was a kid in Whippy, so that's close enough to Oshawa to at least True. smell the aroma, right? And um, those were rough times. <laughs> you know? I, I had to get South the hell Oshawa out for a while. Yeah, well, I was I was sort of uh, the midst of Oshawa, the just just south of North, you know, Roslyn yeah. Stevenson, McLaughlin area. Oh, there so you go. Lots of the fights south there. Yeah, there the fights everywhere in Oshawa. Um, but there were fights everywhere when we were kids. Stupid fights. I know. I remember a little kid. I was I felt like I was six feet tall in grade five. I remember a kid that was probably two feet tall in grade five coming up and just reaching because he had to and punching me right there. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even know who he was. The balls on um, this kid. The balls on this kid. And so when you're young and stupid, fighting is, comes with the territory, particularly in Oshawa and Whitby. I don't know. Maybe it was the movie Stand By Me. No, there, there was no gang fights in that. Maybe it was like The Outsiders. I don't know. But there was something about the prospect of a fight. N nothing has been invented that is a greater motivator to get a shit ton of kids to do one thing. <laughs> and where, where I, yeah to where, where i lived it was like um it was the henry street uh, so i went to henry street high school in whippy and uh we used to fight in the westlin edge of the park on the corner of like ann's and whatever street uh the high school was on uh on the north on the south side and i everybody was there every, you know to go see the violence right and um you know it, I don't know where that came from, but I don't really see that anymore. It's all like it seems. It's on pay per view really... now. It's it's pay per view. It's sports now. Yeah, because it's kind of like mailbox baseball. I never got mm -hmm. to experience mailbox baseball, but I heard about it, and it sounds like it was a pretty fun game. Like, <laughs> you had to be rural for that. You had to be yeah. yeah in, in the they got wise sticks. to it, and they yeah they got wise to it, and they they built cement cores and. I don't like violence. I never did. Um, the only time I would go full violent, and I just spoke to, about this the other day to my surrogate daughter. We can talk about that later. She's wonderful. She's 31. Um, I said, if I were terminal, now this is going to be in the, my police record apparently now that I'm admitting oh. it on, on, on your Great. We're breaking podcast. news, everybody. Thanks. thanks were I terminal at some point, and we all are at some point, unless we you know die in our sleep or, or get hit by a meteor. Um I would become that vigilante and, and, and my surrogate daughter would be my um, super sleuth and she would get the list of the guys that, so I would go full Dexter. Um, you have the right tattoos to be that kind of character. Like, <laughs> right? No. But I, and I would have no problem doing it if I did my homework like Dexter does. Uh, what, and, so you would be, certain, is yeah. that the, because there's probably a lot of tributaries of, uh, vigil vigilantism. So it's you don't have that. to go for the full-on plastic the room up and slash your way to happiness, right? Like it, you it could... wouldn't be quite that dramatic. It would be more like a, a chain around to a tree and let nature do the rest. While having a oh, campfire, yeah. playing songs with friends over a guitar and saying, yeah. um, <laughs> "Bye bye." The morning. This, the sociopathic <laughs> tendencies washing over you. <laughs> Yeah, so I go dark sometimes yeah. after you know an evening. I don't have the courage to be that dark. I, I like I'd be one of those guys who be like, all right, if I'm going to be a vigilante, I'm just going to be a sniper. Oh, I'm right. just going to yeah. kill you from afar. I won't be able to hear your body hit the concrete and see you later. <laughs> you know, that's that's an approach. 
Well, you want to detach yourself from the evil you're doing as much as possible. No, I actually don't know. Um, in my dark fantasy of once every few weeks when I'm talking to my surrogate daughter about things we could do in the in the final days. It's yeah. weird. It's a bit crazy. And, and, I, and I probably won't it, do it. It's a good bonding ritual, if nothing else. Right? <laughs> she seems to enjoy it because she being, you know, a woman, what woman hasn't been uh, assaulted in some way, perhaps multiple times by men who don't know how to, you know hear what and and comprehend what no means no means yeah, no that, even if the yes was even if it was yes a minute ago in this moment no means no fuck off yeah and and um not to overstate the obvious but um when it comes to that kind of shit the problem is definitely men because the only time i've ever been sexually assaulted was in the gayborhood in toronto walking from my subway to to, to my apartment and i'm laughing because it was like it's like hey how you doing cupping my balls for a second and then like that like y'all flamboyant and pranced away and i was like that was kind of funny actually like you know i don't really feel all that bad but it goes to prove that men just can't be trusted <laughs> really at the end of the day. that and and also that our sensibility about that is uh, is different because a it's it's man on man yeah. and b it's on the street and c there's like there's so many reasons why you weren't highly d offended. it's you were fantastic <laughs> you were you were amused and uh yeah, it has yeah. become a good memory unlike hold on a uh, second don't don't walk away yet let me just consider no, <laughs> no, no i don't think so but thank you for the offer yeah it's kind, of you. kind of you to think that i'm worthy yeah yeah it's, it's uh <laughs> it's an interesting counter-cultural thing i lived in the, i said that's an, that was like probably my favorite neighborhood to live in though the neighbors were nice um and i'm not like stereotyping at all it's just like i i've lived in several places in toronto and if i've lived in 40 apartments in my lifetime which is probably not very far off from what i've lived in i only knew my neighbors like three times it's a weird city like that you know the, the downtown and um when i lived um like outside of uh like at church and Wellesley, it was like jarvis and um wellesley basically and you know my neighbors would like bring over soup and like you know like there'd be flowers sometimes and I was like, what the fuck? And you got to know them. And and that was different about um, the, what I lovingly call the gayborhood because it's a, it's my favorite neighborhood <laughs> and it's just really gay. <laughs> so might as well call it the gayborhood. Um, and, and, then, and then the beaches in, in this one pocket in the beaches is the only time I ever knew my neighbors' names. And I just, I find that interesting because it's a, it's, it is a standoffish city, but I think in a lot of ways, it's just like, I want to respect other people's personal space as much as possible. I think people are like that at, in Toronto now. Uh, well, the gayborhood is, 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 I have often called it, um, there's a level of, again, not to stereotype, because there's assholes everywhere, but there's a level of kindness that is, is at a, a higher level than in most neighborhoods. Um, uh, it, yeah, it's more a community, as it were. I found the beaches to be kind of surreal and like, are we even in the city? That's another story. But the gayborhood was always a place of, a bit of a refuge for me. I would go there starting in the second half of the 90s when I was back in Toronto from out west and I would always park my car and go for a walk and get a coffee and look at some clothes and hang out and you know an hour later usually I would uh, go on my way I'll tell you a little story though the um the sense this woman uh, gay woman lesbian woman had of the neighborhood was very 
is our neighborhood. What are you doing here? She saw me as a heteronormal, you know, man um, and knew that I had a female partner. And so I saw her at a party, a dinner party a week or two later and, and wasn't thinking about the fact that I'd seen her in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, I saw you uh, on, on Church Street. Um, what were you even doing there? Having a coffee, having a coffee. Yeah. Do you have a problem with that? I, I, I never quite understood her her position on that or her Yeah, Yeah, that's weird. Like, does she want, like, the vaccine passport for gay people or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, <you know>? <laughs> right. <laughs> I should ask no, her No, look, look, that. it's footage of me. Yeah, I only did it that one time, but this uh, yeah. is my ID. That one to get time in college. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, it's a Listen, fun Listen, there was cocaine there. I can't, you know, it's not my fault, right? <laughs> Rodney's fault. I, th- I have um, a feeling we'll come back to this subject. Uh, what else? I, oh, oh, you know what? That's a good segue into this. Tell me. Do you think it's going to be or already is a problem for me that I've been caricaturized as a hapless drug user, <laughs> mostly through my own doing? Um, Someone asked me that the other gosh, day. Why are you so open wow. about your druggy past and stuff? And I was like, I'm open about it because um, it, it happened. And uh, it happens to a lot of people. And I don't really see. Like, it's not like getting caught pissing in a, in like, what did that guy do? Pissed in the coffee maker at work? Like, I don't understand what the, That's, you know, I did yeah. it to myself. Did, <laughs> you know, like. I like to think ref- of. Yeah, we, we have a reflex of, of shaming people in, in our culture now because of social media. And, and I think that's what people are really talking about, and they don't realize it. You know, well, how yeah, is it going to be viewed through the lens of Facebook? The, the quote that, uh, you know, people uh, judge because comprehension is more difficult. You know, thinking is actually more difficult. Um, I, I like to think of you talking about drugs or me talking about alcohol or drugs as sort of a cautionary tale. It's a, here's how I did it. Here's how you might be doing it. Here's how I did it differently. If this is of any help to you, then, then great. I'm glad to have helped. You know? Yeah. I'm, um, I don't know. I've changed so much in the last two years that I don't know who I am right now <laughs> because, um, <laughs> I like to think that I'm generous, but I haven't seen anyone. So there's no well, when the intention. The intention yeah. doesn't have to be generosity. The intention has to be uh, off- authenticity, and uh, you know, you're 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 speaking from the heart. You're speaking your mind. You're you're telling your story. And while your intention isn't to save the world or that guy over there, um, it, invariably someone will get something positive from it. Hopefully, that's that's the outcome that we're. Yeah, uh, that, that that's totally that's totally fair. I, look, like um, if someone happens to like listen to me. Um, say, you know, oh, here's a horrible decision I made once, and and it prompts them to go, shit, I should stop making horrible decisions. Awesome, <laughs> but it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> that was all that person finding something to latch onto to open a door to go to a place that they feel better. I guess, right? Like, I just oh, knew that, like in hindsight, that I was not just a different person when I was drunk, but a very kind of on not. I had no self awareness the slurring plus the arrogance plus the like you know um need to crack jokes all that i i I shudder i don't i i honestly like the 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 self-awareness the thing about that is that 
I still, because I'm not completely on the wagon now. I, I, I have a limit um, about how many drinks I'll have when I go out. But I still, uh, if I catch myself at all slurring, I'm so self-aware that even when I'm not, I feel like I am. Um, and, I, and I shudder in that moment, and, and, I, and I find ways to not be there. I don't want to yeah. be that guy, sloppy, uh, inappropriate, you know, I, and yet I'm outspoken. Uh, it, there's a diff- line between outspoken and just sloppy and ridiculous and stupid. Yeah. Somebody people don't want to be around. And, Tron- be <laughs> and Toronto also like uh, all the vices don- for me dominoed into one another. Right. So it Absolutely. was like, well, for example, I would, um, I would say I would go to like the Alma Combo or something because I lived right beside it for like a decade. So say I say I went there and I drank like, like I started the night with three beers and ended the night with like a dozen rum and cokes. And then I was like, Indian food sounds perfectly reasonable right now. <laughs> you know, you go get the Indian food. Um, and then for some reason, because it's me, I'm just like I, I'd start drinking vodka and then I go just start snorting cocaine now and then i snort and then after i snort the cocaine i'm just be like i'm gonna start you know seeing if i can find a booty call right now and then you know it just all tumbles into one another and it's just holy it's a, shit it's the slipperiest slope of all when you uh, do substances or, or drink or both there's nothing more slippery than that you are going into uh a, eventually a dark place because you're gonna feel shitty you're gonna have no money in your wallet and uh, you're not even going to know what you did. And the repercussions of what you might have done when you were blackout drunk uh, may come up down the road or may not, yeah. but you don't know when. It's like a tap on the shoulder. That's what I don't like, the surprise of what maybe happened. It's, it's, yeah. That's shudder to think. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's odd not having self-awareness of something that seems so painfully obvious to other people. <sighs> I'll give you like, a quote. Is, is this, yeah, go ahead, please. Um, because I, I, I have a f- Instagram, right? I keep uh, buckets, files of uh, pinups, uh, home decor, nature, uh, erotica, uh, wisdom. Wisdom's the big one. And, and I have probably 1,000 or 1,500 uh, quotes and in there. Gerard Butler, sober 20 plus years, he said this. It's a paragraph. One or two drinks was never enough for me. I was a foot on the floor all the way drinker. I don't miss it. He quit, right? Now, um, I just don't drink. At one point, I could never have conceived going out and not drinking, but as time goes on, you lose the urge and the insecurity that often makes people drink in the first place. Gerard Butler. And that story is a million times over, and I, and I love it when you focus on why you were drinking in the first place. And for me, it was to feel less insecure. It was to feel like part of the crowd. Oh, they're doing it and they seem really happy and inclusive in their conversation. And boy, she's really engaging. I'll go get a double rye and whatever the, and then, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then, and then you do, it's like that cocaine high. You, oh my God, I do feel good after the first yeah. one. The second one, I still feel good. The third one, you look in the mirror at the public bathroom and you're like, what happened? Why do I look yeah. so a mess and then so what you should do is go home what you do is you get another drink thinking that's somehow going to fix things and then it's 3 a.m and you're getting indian food yeah that that's cycle oh my god like it must have been so bad for our digestion <laughs> if nothing <That> else too. <laughs> that, you know I, I don't miss it i you know i went out the other night and had um 
two, two, two pints of Guinness. I'm on a two limit. One is really good. It's like that refreshing. Wow, this is a Guinness. I love the taste of this. Oh, I'm two, a big Guinness guy, or was, yeah. Two is like, I still like it, but I know <laughs> the third one's never going to, it's like chasing the dragon. The third one's never going to live up to the first, and the third one's going to make me less uh, uh, wealthy than I was a few minutes ago. You spend 30 bucks yeah. plus tip on three beers these days. It's a different yeah. world. Who wants to do yeah, that? And then you can't drive. You can't drive. Well, I, ha I don't have a driver's license, so that works out pretty well for me. Yeah. <laughs> Did you lose it? <sighs> it's worse than that. Um, I was dating a girl who fancied herself as an environmentalist when I was like 25, I guess, something like that. And uh, she was like, I'm like, fuck, my license is going to expire in like three days. I, I should go get it renewed. And somehow, sex, she convinced me not to... Uh, not to go get it renewed as some sort of stupid environmentally conscious statement of whatever. And, How long uh, ago was this? Oh, um, I'm glad you asked, Jeff. It was 21 years ago. That's incredible yeah. that you still are on that, uh, you know, wagon. I actually um, have come to like I, I have I had a scheduled thing, but because it happened on COVID, like um, uh, it was canceled. It was just like last month. Uh, my driver's license thing to get G2, which did not exist the first time I got a driver's license, but we'll leave that alone. <laughs> but I come from the era of, first you gotta get what's called your 365. And then after you get your 365, you book a test, and then 11 months, whatever it is later, you get your license. And sure. Dragon Lady from the Oshawa thing will probably fail you first. And that's, that's just how it went for us, uh, Oshawa Whippy Boys. Indeed. And, um, and now you have to go through, the, and graduated licensing's been around for a long time, I get that. I know that by getting the driver's license this is how stupid my brain works um that i just if there was a screen that we all looked through through our eyes that had a percentage in the bottom right hand corner and that percentage were to denote the probability of you dying based on your lifestyle that my percentage would increase <laughs> and you know you're speaking you're, you're preaching to the choir <laughs> i at the age of 13, 14 15 16 till I left home, I would, uh, just before going to sleep, with my big white pod-like headphones from the 70s on, probably a Jimi Hendrix record, I would say to myself, I was very aware of the fact that I may not wake up. Um, this was, you know, uh, Bon Scott had died from drinking, uh, John Bonham had just died from drinking, the list goes on and on and on. And I thought, it'll be a miracle if I wake up tomorrow because I'm so drunk in my bed and well, they, you know, they, they, they threw up in their sleep and uh, that's how they died. What a way to go. But I thought that was my fate. And, and I've thought that off and on for the last 40 years. And, and I still thank, you know, my lucky stars as it were that that, that hasn't happened, but it, it happens frequently to so many people. Um, and, and yeah. your number eventually comes up. So the probability of me dying has been massive my whole life for things like mm -hmm. that. And, yeah, me too. And, <laughs> yeah. So you want to I mitigate. I friend, actually. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Yeah, Tell me. Sorry, I just, uh, just quickly, I had a friend when I was still in high school, I, I guess I was like 16, 17, um, Andrew Volitis. And um, <clears throat> like every other weekend, I was not there, but like every other weekend, um, a bunch of people that I knew and him went to a party, prob- I think it was in Ajax. And um, they, it was at, in some suburb and there was, uh, they were parked uh, right beside a park. And they all were in the park hanging out just before they went to the party. And Andrew Belitis sat down on the park bench or whatever, and then just kind of like leaned over on his on his back and sort of had his head on the one rail. And it was like love seat length, so his big legs are hanging over the thing. And uh, and they left. And someone found him like three and a half hours later, and he was already dead. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Sixteen how, years old, man. How was that not us? How was that not us? Yeah, I don't, it, it's... Another cautionary know. tale, really, though, because uh, I, I do it far less often, but I still do it once in a while. I have too many drinks, because you have two, three, four, and having 15 is not uh, out of the question, because it's that slope. You don't, you you don't still have more that. reason. The, yeah, that, it, it's funny, because alcohol is one of those weird things, because um, I'm more of a, yeah, like the, the drug side for me was always... Uh, well, it was all, they were all issues. But anyways, I, I used abundance, an abundance of drugs where I used this sort of moderate amount of alcohol except when I binge drank, which was like twice, three times a week. Um, but the idea of like a culture so enamored with alcohol and so anti, and I'm not talking about hard drugs, but like psilocybin and marijuana for so long, it, it feels like... Um, like society's like biggest problems are these contradictions that no one wants to ever explain. No one wants to explain why um, a guy who commits, like maybe he committed tax fraud or something. I don't know. Um, And I'm not talking white collar criminals. I'm talking about like some working stiff who, who ends up getting caught up in something that isn't illegal, but he totally fucked his taxes and yada, yada gets like a year in prison. But someone who molests a child gets a suspended sentence. We have all these contradictions in our society that no one wants to explain to us. Um, and I think we're all roaming around confused and uh, we don't know who we are. And I think a lot of us drink and do drugs because of those things, you know? <laughs> Certainly that's part of it. It goes back to Gerard Butler's insecurities. We, we, we shed most of them, thankfully, hopefully, as we get older. But some of them some of them are hard to get rid of. The traumas of your childhood, as it were. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk right now, and let's not get into it, but that, that Putin is, 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 hasn't, sort of, hasn't uh, been to enough therapy to address and over overcome the traumas of his childhood whatever that was like so he's a little f- fucking you know the awful uh, evil human being um but th- thankfully we're not uh, on that d- fast track to uh, to hell um, we're just getting yeah. in trouble and 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 <laughs> And drinking too much and spending too much money and losing brain cells and and where we could be uh, having more fun. I like to go out and uh, have a near beer, you know, Bex or whatever the products are, or yeah. or I like to have a soda 
I don't like to smoke a bit of weed. I, I really enjoy that. And then I can. <laughs> Jeff, you don't have to say it like that anymore. <laughs> I know, but but that's almost like it's like, do you have to, Jeff, do you always have to go out and be on some sort of, sort of substance? And the answer is no. But given the choice of uh, this this drinking crowd and maybe having a quick hit on a, on a one hitter and then oh, just yeah. going and having fun and, and maintaining maintaining a conversation that isn't with slurring. Yeah, and, and by the way, one of those substances, and I'll let everyone at home just ponder this for as long as it takes them, is far worse than the other. <laughs> it's not even close. Well, yeah, of course, you know? exactly. No, I, yeah, I don't know. I did grow. I grew up with a lot of families who, uh, a, a lot of people whose families were destroyed by alcohol. Still looking for that one guy whose family was destroyed by toking on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Um. The world's totally different, though, than the one that we grew up in. And I <clears throat> um, I, I enjoy being a, a part of a generation who can straddle the technological um, eureka moment of the Internet and remembers what it was like before and after. Yeah, I have a romanticized version of the before, even though I feel like while living in the before, I yawn, like I desired this elusive after, you know? I'm really happy we're in the after, but yeah, it did, you know, Bowie more than, David Bowie more than anyone uh, early on in the 90s as the internet was becoming, you know, uh, proliferating to the point that we were all having home computers. Um, he was the one that seemed to articulate earliest among rock stars about how it was going to be the greatest thing on earth. And the worst thing on earth, you know, oh, both of wow. those things were going to exist. And, 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 and I remember thinking when I heard him say that, that that seems uh, overtly dramatic about it being one of the worst things. Of course, he was so exactly uh, correct in that because and you know why? Because there was a comment on a, your Twitter post that that promoted me being with you right now. Um, and, and, a, yeah. and a person with no uh, with with no discernible photograph. That's sort of one of the hallmarks of the keyboard g g courage, you know, asshole online. There's never an actual picture of them. There's a stupid yeah. pseudonym, and 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 their grammar is always bad. They can't spell, and they, and they can't string a sentence together. And what's my point? Oh, those people, the, the, the glut of those people online that just are there to talk shit and, and disturb whatever's going on. It's like, really? Yeah. This, is, this is what motivates you in your day? I, I you, know, you know what, though? I, I think uh, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I'm, <laughs> I don't really like social media at all. Um, I'm, I'm just on it because it feels like if, the, if I wasn't, then like only... You know, like I, I wouldn't have any audience to speak of at all, and never mind the modest yet growing audience that I have now, right? Like, um, so I know it's weird like that, but if I could push a button tomorrow and get rid of all social media and then the ability for anyone to think of that again, I would totally do it because I think it would save us from ourselves. <laughs> really, <laughs> I, well, something just... happened where we, where we all have decided that it's okay to verbally bully anyone we want anytime we want about anything we want and i'm just we, we we've gone is, is it really hard to find the the root cause of our problems like it's it's social media is the root cause of our problems it really is. It, it can be but it's also it's also this uh, hiding in 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 the basement um knowing you're safe no matter what you say um or unless it's unless it's something illegal and blah 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 uh but i my test is would you say it if that person walked into the room would you have the courage 
and the inclination to go over and say the same thing to them in person. And that's the filter through which I, all my comments come. Sometimes uh, I'm pushing I'm pushing it, but, but, but generally that's it. Would I say this to you, a politician that I have something negative to say about? Absolutely, I would say the same words in person to your face. If you yeah, can't yeah. say that you would do that, then don't say it online. That seems to be pretty basic. That is actually like kind of a golden rule. Um, the problem is most of the time, like, like actually anytime, if the person doesn't use their real name and you don't know who they are, they could be a PR company, they could be a bot, they could be an accountant. There's lots they of could bots, be your sister. Yeah, of course, of course. And so so uh, I, I look at it through that filter now. I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, let's see, what does this comment say? You're an ass clown, cuck. Okay, let's examine why he's doing that. Okay, he thinks Eileen left, whatever. Okay, let's go to see him now. What's his name? You know, um, Liberty Champ, like 682, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm like, and so then I'm like, I, I literally have this thought. Do I care what Liberty Champ 68312 thinks? Yeah, we no, have to stop I caring. Do so. I even know who he is? No, I don't fucking no. have any idea who he is. We need to stop no. caring. And, and one of the greatest ways to deal with the people who do that shit is ignore. Silence is a great answer. Yeah, I go for deadpan humor sometimes. Like, like when it's a really grumpy male and he's got this whole paragraph that uses all of the character limit, you know, like, and, and he's like <laughs> saying libtard and all this stuff. Um, I usually respond the same way every time. Dad? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. they don't get a reaction they're looking for, like a... Ah, yeah. It kind of yeah. deflates them. <laughs> and they'll answer like, oh, I, I expect that from you, fucking bald idiot. Da, da, da. And then I'm like, mom says you won't answer the phone. Um, it's $120 a month, Dad. That's, that's it. And I'll just just go in that direction forever until they just leave it alone yeah, it's more away. fun <laughs> than arguing um you know i think fun is fun really, yeah um when you were um starting in radio um uh, let me preamble i'll couch it like this actually every time i talk to a radio guy like a guy who was on the air yeah. um it takes like three minutes for the topic for them to pivot to sort of like an indication that it was heavily influenced by the office politics or the separation between talent and executives. Like you guys basically sometimes would wear tribal war colors in your own minds. <laughs> and I was wondering how overstated is that? And uh, what was it like? Like, and, and coming up and do you even to this day, have to be careful what you say, maybe just like, at least to be polite. Uh, in this capacity or what context in the context of working within a, a corporate medias like say where um no because that would be uh, like uh, the, the answer would be obvious that like you have to keep a job right like, you don't want right. to you know piss people off but say in a context like this you know um, oh no i mean you know we live and die by the things we say and do but um I just sort of speak my mind, and I always have. I think if I could illustrate it with with a clothing uh, scenario from ninety nine two thousand. This was when uh, Q one hundred seven was in North York, and the Edge was down at Young and uh, Dundas. Yeah, and then we merged. Shaw owned Edge, and Wick owned Q, and then Chorus became a thing, and then 
these stations are. And then the Lushat told me a lot of money because they were geographically close to where you guys were. I remember that. <laughs> That's a good point. My yeah. point is uh, about clothing. So I'm in North York. I'm the assistant program director Q107 and the music director. And I'm doing some shows. You know, I hadn't started my radio series yet, but I'm I'm on the air doing like, the rock report, different things, interviewing bands. Mm. And, uh, and I'm wearing the same thing to work every day, sort of my uniform, particularly in non-winter months, which was flip-flops, uh, jeans, you know, not fancy jeans, um, and a, and a, and a for, forgive the expression, uh, wife beater. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, an undershirt. Oh, it's um, a wife beater. There it is. Yeah. And 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 yeah. and yeah, everyone knows that expression. It means nothing other than silly. Um, and yeah. that was what I wore. And people are like, oh, now that the chorus is here. And you want to raise up, rise up the ranks? Are you going to dress a little differently? No one was actually saying that, but I could hear it um, yeah. in my subconscious. The it was, guy it was, it was, it was made clear in every once over that people yeah. were on you. Yeah. So I'm like, no, it's a rock station. I'm not, I'm not working for a middle of the road, you know, Montavani leaning. We're playing ACDC and Led Zeppelin. So I'm not. Changing. That's almost a political response. That's hilarious. Like fight the power. Yeah. Right. I was that guy, uh, but I, I didn't change my uniform uh, ever. When we were downtown, I started wearing actual T-shirts. So that was a big adjustment oh, for me. Wow, sellout. Um, Jesus. Right. <laughs> but the point is, I, be, I you know, I, I got my jobs, I got my promotions, yeah. and it's about it's about how you make people feel. It's about your level of intellect, the level of knowledge and understanding, and and are you going to drive the success of this radio station or this retail store? And if the answer is yes, then the tattoos and the and the wife beater. Well, who cares? But so there's they, many but companies said, that do care, but I wasn't going to work for them. But you were able to sort of like um, survive in the industry and and do very well as almost like a hybrid, right? Like you would kind of bounce from so. front to the back of the house, for lack of a better description. Yeah, you know, because I, I got into it for music. So I was in the music industry. I was in the record retail industry. I was in radio. Radio is still my first love. I love being on the radio and playing songs that might mm. inspire or, or entertain someone. Tell a little story. Mm. To me, that's the most fun ever is writing about it and, and playing it and saying it. And but I was I was in kind of all I wasn't just the radio guy and I wasn't the music guy. I was kind of all a hybrid to your point. And it was fun. And uh, I get to do it. And I'm, I feel fortunate that I do. But I was never going to uh, pander to any uh, anything, anything really um, in order to keep a job or get a job. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb, <laughs> I think. Right? You know, like if you have a job that demands a viewpoint in something that has nothing to do with your job or something like that, um, you know, provided it's not violence or hate speech or something like that, then I, yeah. I don't really understand. Yeah, that's a weird one because that, that is sort of like the, you're nibbling on the edge of Orwellian stuff with the, you know, demand that only clones of your own beliefs are working beside you. That and you've reminded me of the, the 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 stay in your lane crowd, which are all over social media. There's lots of those. Like, who yeah. gives a fuck what Bruce Springsteen has to say about Paul? I care what Bruce. It, who who are you gonna who are you gonna <laughs> respect more than someone who's lived that long, been that successful, written that much uh, meaningful prose, poetry, lyrical content, traveled the world, seen it all. Uh, <laughs> been in this been in this environment where he gets to meet everybody and experience everything and i think he's probably got more wisdom than jimmy in the basement um yeah, pardon you the think? use of jimmy a <laughs> yeah. billy in the basement 
Uh, oh, it's and okay. so and so Don't this stay in your lane thing. Uh, fuck off. We're not multi. We're not one dimensional people. We're allowed to have opinions about uh, anything we choose to have opinions about, even if we're just a music DJ or a rock star. Um, uh, why do we not want to hear uh, the conflict in Ukraine? Everyone, everyone's got an entitlement to having a, an opinion. It's when you start quoting. Um, uh, it's when you start quoting opinions as facts that you get into trouble. Try not to do that. Yeah, I was thinking about that um, today, uh, how I would approach um, interviewing you, to which I always oh. come back to, don't think too much, just have a conversation. That's like, and then I'm like, oh yeah. Um, but the deep dive stuff was was interesting to me because there were there was two things that I noticed. One of them was, um, I, I felt that, uh, it, the, one of the consistent things that I like about your interviews is how generous you are with the person that you're talking to. And I think a lot of that has to do with the industry that they're in. Um, and I'm just wondering if you, if you even thought about your approach that much or if you just sort of let it organically happen or if there were any, because as a journalist, we have strategies of how we interview sources and things like that because we're, we're, you know, we're trying to extract information or get our hands on documents. And so we have this, it's a psychological game. Sometimes you're not lying to this person, but you are trying to present your, you know, your, your case in such a way that they'll be like, yes, I'd love to give you all of the documents that you know, <laughs> sort of thing. But for artists, you, you want them to, is the first barrier wanting them to not have a look on their face? Like, here we go. Uh, the same question. Under time today, right? You know that rarely. You know. Somehow that rarely happened to me. I mean, in the early days, I had no clue what I was doing. So you get thrown into it. I remember someone saying, um, "Oh, tomorrow night I'm taking the evening off. Could you interview Tom Cochran? He's coming with his new album, his debut sort of post Red Rider, the one with Boy Inside the Man." And I was mm. twenty one, and I was scared. And, and I thought, I don't know anything about interviewing anyone. And, and it was an hour live where you have to play the songs, talk to the guy. And, and I felt like this is the biggest challenge of my life at that point as a broadcaster. And it went really well because he was legitimately a good guy, right? So that, yeah. that set a tone for my future. I'm like, oh, I can breathe now. The next one, I won't feel quite so nervous if I'd gotten a real prick on the first one it may have been anyone's guess how it would have gone after that but he's a sweetheart and 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 what i what i understood from that meeting was that uh, rock stars i mean he wasn't the biggest rock star in the world but to me he was a pretty major name yeah. well they're just they're just people too and this sounds so obvious and so cliche they're just rock stars are just people too but but they are just people and if you treat them with kindness and respect and they can see that in you they're going to hopefully treat you the same way so most times in the first 60 seconds that i am with them in a room or with them live i try to let them know in the things that i choose to say to them and in the way that i choose to say it that a i'm, I'm there for them I'm not there to combat them. This isn't me against mm. you. This is me and you. We're going to talk about, oh, God, you have a new record. This is great. Congratulations. It can be that simple, right? It's not like, so it's taken you a long time to bring a new record. Yeah. No, it's, hey, congrats on the new record. I really like this song or that song. Yeah. And, and what way, that's how we talk to our kids and our spouses and our friends. We don't have to get all technical about it. 
Yeah, no, that's but what I, I, that's I, what I do. Just to, that's, it's not even generous, is it? It's more like it seems generous when we live in this world of media uh, combative stuff where I'm going to take you down. Um, but we're not talking politics. We're talking songs. It's a pretty uh, gentle playground in which uh, I've thrived. And and despite it being gentle, there is still a, um, a lesson that media can learn from that kind of approach to any interview uh, in, in a way. That's why, like, and I don't want to get into um, this person and their beliefs, but, like, the reason why, um, actually, I don't even have to mention this person. The reason why long-form podcasts are so popular is because people feel like when they see someone that they enjoy their work, whether it's music or movies or whatever, uh, on Entertainment Tonight, literally, they're just there, like, saying whatever the figment of the PR person's imagination was that morning. <laughs> that's, that's what they're communicating. Sound bites, um, but what Exactly. But uh, boilerplate sound bites. And when they, but when they go to a podcast... Um, and, and, and it absolutely has everything to do with the ad model of um, archaic, I'm not trying to be mean to people in radio, but like archaic technology, which is what I would call it from a standpoint. Our, the archaicness of it has nothing to do with the technology and how it delivers content, but everything to do with these obstacles known as advertisements. <laughs> like they, they, they impact everything because they have to be done at this time and that time. Blah, blah. And like when I found out that songs, uh, singles were three minutes or 3.30 at the most, and that had everything to do with the timing of radio, I was like, well, that's fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you start thinking in terms like that. Like from a hip hop background, I knew that I could write either two 16 bar verses with a shortened first hook and a regular size second hook or three verses and just the short hook. Like, because that's how I would make it less than three thirty. And why did I have to do that? <laughs> because of commercials. for some reason. Largely, but I also really subscribe to the idea that, and this is another cliche from the music of the, the world of music writing. Uh, don't bore us, get to the chorus. There are songs that could uh, benefit from a little chop here and a little tuck and a nip here. Um, and, and, and the essence of the song is still quite intact. And we got through it and went, wow, I'd like to hear that again. As opposed to, I, I I can't listen to this. It's taking too long to get to the point. So you know, pop music yeah. and rock music uh, can be one and the same. Um, it's like, do you want to hear it again? Becomes the test. And a lot yeah, of three, I love, three I, you know what I mean. I love that about uh, about about pop music. Um, is that um, you go through your, your relationships with pop music is complex. It's like having a long-term on, on again, off again romance, you know, cause the eighties really, the eighties were like, well, what the fuck is this shit? This is crazy bad. Like, is it always going to, what is with those synthesizers? Why is this happening? Like, so although, although, you know, what's crazy about that is at the time I was so rooted, like you were in the suburbs and it was rush and it was black Sabbath and it was deep purple. And it was all these, you know, macho rock bands, cock rock as we called it. And then, and then, and then the eighties came. And we're like, hey, what, yeah, what is this new romantic keyboard music? It's not for me because I didn't come from it. But now, when I hear a tune by Level Forty Two or Talk Talk, it's pretty great. I don't just hear synth; I hear incredible harmony, and I hear incredible production, and I hear all the things that made it a hit then, and I appreciate it now because I've shed all of that. Gay people are bad. <laughs> um, Black Sabbath is the coolest band on earth, and and anything else is is not cool. Um, 
Because, With gay people you know, are bad, like a staple in the and and part of me for yeah. this disparaging label. But when I was Please. a kid, um, I grew up. Uh, I I I grew up in the eighties. Like uh, I I went. To, I started going to high school in nineteen ninety. So I was like that generation. Um, we called the people who liked metal and and rock and roll and all that. We called them skids. Right. That was what they were. Oh, did you? Yeah, we were just metalheads. Yeah. Yeah, you were guys. But if you had feathered bangs, say, or tassels we, we sure on your did. leather jacket, or acid-washed <laughs> jeans with some weird Iron Maiden shirt, then we were calling you a skid, probably. Uh, um, yeah, which I'm surprised that you weren't called the skid because you lived in the same. Basically, we grew up in the same place. I was like, I was called weed because I was one of the handful of guys that did pre-rolled joints and sold them uh, two dollars each or three for five. That was my oh. gig in high school. Um, beyond doing fairly well in class until about grade 10, 11 when I was tanked and then resurfaced later and did quite well when I realized uh, this is no kind of life. You're not going yeah. to be weed at 52 years old. Um, but that was what I was called, <laughs> weed. I, I, I'm sure somebody probably called me a skid <laughs> along yeah, the way. No, I'm, I'm, I, it, it probably was me. No, let's be honest. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> but you know the number one thing when I, I can remember this so clearly and not having any understanding of my own sexuality at eight years old. I didn't even know what sexuality meant at eight years old. No one yeah. did in our generation. But the number one thing that boys called, uh, said to boys, it would become, oh, you're gay. That was the thing. Every, we didn't even know what gay meant, but everyone was gay. Before that, though, when you were seven and eight and nine and ten playing street hockey, the number one thing boys said to boys was... And it's three syllables, and there's some hard consonants in there. Cocksucker. Everyone was a cocksucker. Oh. Everyone. And it's still used. I catch myself using it in my car alone, in traffic, just... all the time. I'm always yelling out that word. And I know yeah. that it has nothing to do with the act of that. It's just a stupid yeah. thing you learn as a kid. It's, a, it's an expletive. It's a swear word. And it ha has no context you just mean it as get out of the way. You're driving like a fool. You don't actually think yeah, that they, you know. It's a malleable. It's a malleable word, though. Let's be honest, because um, what the adult film industry did to that word, um, you know, it can be Tell like me, yeah. a well, it can be a mafia insult. These mm. fucking cocksuckers! I'm gonna get Vinny mm -hmm. over there, and we're gonna or mm -hmm. oh, he's such a good little cocksucker. Like seriously, that's what that that's what turns people on. So all those homophobic eight year olds. Are probably now wondering why do I like that word so much now? Like, I, don't understand. I, I, I called Jeff Woods that every day when we played <laughs> hockey for years, and now I want my wife to say it while she talks about having sex with the bartender. So, uh. right? Have you ever thought I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Well, it's, 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 it's another form of the N-word, which we're not going to go down that road, um, but it's another form of that. Everyone used it stupidly and foolishly. Um, and, and the context was rarely what it was intended to be. It was just another dumb guy word. And, uh, and, and I, I, to which I say, I bet you've thought about uh, sucking cock yourself. And, uh, and if you're going to say, oh, no, not me, 
I'm like, you're a liar. Everyone's thought of it. Everyone's yeah, you're a liar. Because if it. you did, you would realize the benefits of thinking. About it. <laughs> Not like, only I like that. People, yeah. <laughs> I like putting people in their uncomfortable spot. I am not uncomfortable saying pretty much anything. You can probably tell. Like, I don't, yeah, you know, it doesn't same. matter to me. Um, but the the people that really have, like, a homophobic core, like, that's almost part of their branding, or their identity. I really enjoy trolling them a little bit. Um, so, you know, um, I, I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let it out of the bag because it's uh, it's too late now, and uh, and I'm just gonna release it as a as a spoof track. But I have an alter ego rapper that I created for the for the especially white supremacist ish convoy people, um, and his name his his rapper name is Pat Riot because if he gets into a squeeze, he's the page he becomes the patriot. <laughs> Right. and um but the whole song it. yeah it's called it's called mandates because they were there because they didn't want the mandates to impact their life however my title is two words and the <laughs> both verses are littered with subliminal references supporting the art of glorious cocksucking but they don't know that hence so my man plan was mandates 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 Keep your mouth open, your eyes on the prize, like all that kind of shit. And um, and I I tested it. I sent it to these people that I know. Funny enough, they're in Alberta. Um, and I was like, hey, someone, because they know I do podcasts and they know how I feel about issues and stuff. So, so I'm like, look, someone sent me this. I don't know who this is, but is he popular in your crowd? And I sent her my thing, and um, and she's like, it's fucking awesome. You know, it's funny. We have like music being good. That's how you know it's a culture, James. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Fuck you, Penny. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and it was going to be an Andy Kaufman moment for me. Um, and I blew it because I, I knew that the timing had to be perfect. And I had to do it on the day that they were getting dismantled as a way to rally the dummies. Um, the, 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 well, I, I applaud I applaud you in your attempt. The, 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 the idea of things going viral is like the last thing one can ever predict. Uh, it's just something you, you do the work and you yeah. hope that somebody notices, right? Well, what I get, what I, I never actually try to make things go viral. Usually the no. thought process is like this. You can't. You know what sucks? I, I don't know how to make things go viral. But the good thing about that is then I just do it because I think it's awesome and fun. <laughs> so I'm motivated by the right things to do something. You know, which That's the commonality among all artists. You do it because it's in you to do and you feel like it and you feel it and you just do it and, you, and you're not thinking about expectations and you're not thinking about outcomes. But in this world of uh, online, sometimes things do blow up and you're like, wow, that's so good. No, it's pretty good. It's just, it's just enough people have noticed it and shared it. So hopefully yeah. we we luck into one of these scenarios at some point in our career. Well, I um I read something um this morning about how um I mean a lot of your identity in the industry um on the kind of more of the artist side or whatever the front of the house as I would say uh, the are uh, you know your affinity with like the belief that there's an importance to the history of certain things and music obviously is what you were referring to and and. I really enjoyed reading like your comments on why it's important because uh, for the first time I was able to like find like a direct parallel with no obstacles of, of why I'm so enthralled with hip hop culture. Uh, and it's because of this love that I have for the history of, of that culture, of that movement um, and how rappers that um, <clears throat> when I was, when I was like uh, really, really trying to, you know, collect hip hop and like write a lot and, and rhyme at different 
like house parties and clubs in the 90s and stuff like i would study these catalogs of these great rappers that came beforehand um just because i was interested but i then i heard rappers that were like more well-versed than i was in in the industry say things like no you got to know your starting point otherwise you 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 won't be tapping into your full potential and i thought that that was really interesting because when i read your quote and i don't re have it in front of me but I, you know the, to paraphrase it was it, it had a lot to do with that like how do, how do you know that you're adding to a culture if you don't know what came before that and <laughs> you know shouldn't you allow yourself to be influenced is the idea that i got from it in a sense. I, I like that, and, and I just I just believe that you have to, you know, go way, swim way back to the beginning of, you know, uh, field haulers and, and songs that were sung because uh, I'm in the I'm in the stinking heat on a chain gang, or I'm picking cotton, and 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 this is a long day, and I'm not yeah. really making any money, and 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 life isn't that great, but uh, here I am outside and. We all start singing field haulers. We all start singing songs, and and, and then and then we use guitars and we become blues musicians and we tell our stories in that way, and and, and that leads us eventually to the Beatles. That leads us eventually to yeah. the hip hop culture you speak of, and and I'm I'm voracious in my appetite for all of it. I don't care the genre. I like to say I did steal it, untethered by genre or era. Because stories are told with a bit of a different complexion or a different you know, face or a different voice or a different instrument or a different collective. But they're still just stories, right? They yeah. sound a little different, but at the end of the day, it's a human story that's being projected. I want to know the history of absolutely all of it from bill monroe uh you know from from bluegrass music through to through to, to chuck d who i still follow vehemently through to rage against the machine political mm -hmm. tom morello and, and zach and back to uh doo-wop and and back to uh the stuff that predated the beatles all yeah. of it is just stories with a different sound and to me yeah. digging into absolutely everything gives you the ability to walk into a room with Robert Platt and have a meaningful conversation because he senses somehow that you're not just the radio guy that wants to know who he's dating. Yeah. I don't want to know yeah, that. Right. <laughs> Why are you leaning into me with your uh, breast pocket? What is what's that about? <laughs> um, and, and, and actually in the construct of hip hop itself is like history because and, the, and it was really controversial when um, sampling became popular. I think it was misunderstood. I also think that the-, the It was totally homage, misunderstood. Come on. Yeah. It was totally misunderstood. The, right. The greatest oh. homage that you can give as a poor individual, because it was literally, it sprang from poverty. Like this genre, the entire genre music sprang from like this despair, uh, uh, you know, like, and so to, in order to get you know the sound that they wanted uh at the they wanted to emulate the break of the album um on like these like apache that like like that kind of stuff right like they they wanted to be able to just loop that on the turntable and then they wanted to make their own and they ingeniously decided that they would take sections of horns 
from you know you know so, you know dizzy gillespie or something and, and and turn it into like turn it inside out run it backwards hit it with the bass line and a piano key and all of a sudden you're just like wow this is fucking awesome it sounds that is so, a homage uh you know it, it, it's, it's totally an homage to 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 what came before it's also a way to be uh, creatively cheap um and i love it all I absolutely mm. love it all. And then artists like, you know, not hip hop. Uh, Beck would yeah. do that famously. And and so many, and, and, and it's just interesting <laughs> to me, the, the complexion yeah, the, of it, it's fun. Yeah. The complexion what? also has a lo- couple of warts. Like if you could go back in Tell time me. and just talk to the lawyers from the Verve and just be like, look, when you go in there with the Rolling Stones, make sure they're clear <laughs> that you want to use what they sold you. <laughs> so That was a shit show, wasn't it? That I was just that. like if you're the Rolling Stones, aren't you just like this? Like imagine making this decision. Let's see, we're worth about two billion dollars right now. It's uh, wh- what are they worth? Oh, heroin junkie. Um, well, we'd be doing him a favor by not giving. Let's sue but, the. But the Stones, like, dude. The Stone, no, the Stones didn't own it. Any, it was never even Stones music per se. It was a sample from a Stones song that was used yeah. by Andrew Lou Goldham that uh, I think Alan Klein ended up owning. And yeah, no one on the they, Stones even played. Right? We're playing no, at the time. I, but, yeah. but credit to the Stones, they gave they gave the royalties for Bittersweet Symphony to the Verve once the dust settled. They're like, here. Yeah, once the, what once you did, the but, profits were made, right? But they it didn't was go that, back. And they, didn't ret- they didn't retroactively pay them, did they? That would have been a gesture, um, you know. Uh, you're probably right, but but it doesn't really matter. But it was it was it was maybe they the saved stuff that, that guy's life. <laughs> You know? What a great song, though, right? Uh, I, uh, Richard see, Ashcroft. That's one of those pop I mean, that was a that's, brilliant, yeah. brilliant pop song. I mean, would you? I listened to it yesterday, oddly, because yeah. I, I wanted to think more about how um, how much of the, uh, the substance of that song was that sample, um, and it, oh, <laughs> and it is it is the, the, identity song. Of the song. Yeah. However, however, the way it was produced and the way he sang it. And the video. Just, Let's not forget yeah, the, video the simplicity was of sh- of alpha mailing people by walking against the stream down the as stream, I used to do in Chinatown. Usually right. with other, I used to I used to literally be like, I am walking in a straight line, and if people don't move out of the way, we're just going to bump into each other. <laughs> and it was always like the tourists. It was never the Chinese people. They know where how to go, the pockets, the dance, how to right. kind of keep the stream going, and everything. It's always like the guy from Oakville with his golf shirt tucked into his like pants that, or shorts that used to be pants, you know, black socks and sandals guy standing in the middle eating a hot dog. It's like, dude, you're fucking up the stream. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to get out of there. But yeah, um, the, 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 everything about that song, I, that song bookended grunge for me in a way. You know, it was that I, it was my first year of college. Yeah. Well, it was still it was it was as much new romantic from the 80s as it was anything. But I love uh well, his solo records are great too, Richard Ashcroft. But yeah, hail, hail the Verve and sampling. Um, you know, or you could have been Led Zeppelin, who didn't sample anybody. They just stole the actual words and music, and and used bigger yeah. amplifiers. And 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 their attitude was, we'll see, because no one comes after you until you're successful. If those records didn't sell, nobody would have had anything bad to say about them but they saw was there any was there any truth to the thing like i read something that said that like there are certain folk songs for example 
where the ownership would be almost impossible to figure out because like you know these are like songs that get handed down and handed down they're almost cultural in a sense like was it was there anything like that or was that just a good pr uh, boilerplate statement to leak by um, well, well for zeppelin. example there's there's a there's there's a lot of stuff that zeppelin and and a lot of bands did that was uh, public domain that was either traditional and no one knew exactly who wrote it but it was so long ago that no one's quite sure it was most often when uh, uh, Bert Janch, for example, did uh, Blackwater's side, and it became uh, it became a Zeppelin tune that sounded exactly like that, the way Jimmy picked the guitar. It's effectively uh, Bert Janch's version of a traditional song, and 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 it's as close as you can get when you go from A to B. Um, but Bert never got noted in the uh, in the, in the credits. Bert wasn't making money off of that Zeppelin sale, and uh, was he was he bitter? Probably. Did he come out and say he was bitter? Not really. He would be uh, more uh, sarcastic about how yeah his his Led Zeppelin song um, that happened more often than not. You're taking something that's traditional. Um, you're fine. You can do whatever you want with it. But taking something that's traditional that's become something very specific, like like Black Mountainside, Black Waterside. Yeah. And, 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 and you're ripping off somebody that's still alive, for example. And Jimmy was good at that. Let's face it. Zeppelin were great at that. They ended up paying a lot of money, as they should, for having taken oh, did all they? these blues. Oh, yeah. That oh, one, I didn't no. know that. That one, not in no. particular. But no, there were so many lawsuits. It came from the Willie Dixon songbook, largely. Uh, people in that camp uh, recording for Chess and various other labels. Um, like, what, Zeppelin was had to pay. No... Was there no smart executive around at the time that was just like, um, before we go into the studio with this blatant ripoff, buy the blatant ripoff for a thousand bucks. Just buy the publishing. Just get that over with so that we can't be accused of stealing anything. <laughs> like, you they know, were like, the early days. And, and that's the other thing. When, 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 you, when, you, when you say to somebody, we're interested in this thing, and then they're like, oh, you are? Oh, now I want <laughs> yeah. more money. I'm going to stand here like I'm a far more important than I really am. <laughs> I'm very and desperate to take anything. Just fuck, I'll pay you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the infancy of the business. And so nobody was really thinking about it. Nobody was really talking about it. You would just do it and cross your fingers. And if yeah, they came was... after you, the only reason they're coming yeah, after the... you is because you have the money and then you pay them. The industry had a lot to deal with at the time. Like just funding the payola department was a fucking nightmare. Right? Yeah, I, I often wonder about how uh, rampant that was across America because it, it wasn't it wasn't in Canada. Paola in Canada was, hey, you want to go to Tim Hortons for lunch? Oh, here's my new records. And then do you want another coffee? And then yeah. you were you weren't playing the new whatever name of the band was based on the fact that they gave you Tim Hortons lunch. It wasn't yeah. cocaine and it wasn't uh, cash like mm. people were accused of in the U.S. Like Alan Freed, who died penniless and, and depressed. Because he got caught up in it, right? Yeah, that's how you thought you you were going to pass away sometime in your forties, I guess. Something like that. <laughs> I'm going to be penniless at seventy if I'm lucky. Yeah, <laughs> spend I, it all am, and then exit. I've always been penniless. It's so funny. Like, like I I don't usually I don't really care about talking about money, mostly because I've never really had any. So I've just I don't care. Um, but I don't think I've ever. I think I've only topped 50 grand a year once in my life most of the time it's like 10 to fifteen thousand dollars a year because for some reason i i convinced myself long ago that if i keep doing what I, what i love my life will, will lead come. to the exact path that i need to go down even yeah. if that path remains penniless for the rest of my life it was still the right 
path, I, I guess, right? I'm with you. Know? you. I, I, here's what I believe. You're sitting in a nice room. Um, you have food in the fridge. You have a roof over your head. You, you, you don't drive, but that's another story. Um, life's pretty good. We have medical attention as required. We have our health, thankfully, still, knock on wood. But the roof and the, and the indoor plumbing and the, uh, and the food in the fridge, that's pretty good. Those fixed costs are covered. The money yeah. that takes us uh, to buy a yacht or the money that takes us on a three-week vacation to uh, the Mayan Riviera next month, it's not happening for me. And it's not happening for you. Uh, yeah. But that's okay. I don't want that. I don't, I don't need it. Like you've probably, I don't know. Like I, I'm certain that you found yourself in situations in your life where you have been in the presence of a billionaire or someone yeah. who is just yeah. I I found the time. A friend of mine is the black sheep of a billionaire family. Like literally the black sheep. He he. You know, is the guy. When you say literally the black sheep, he's like a sheep that happens to be black. So yeah, I use the word <laughs> literally in a way that literally doesn't make any sense. Um, Thank you. Carry right. on. <laughs> Yeah. So um figuratively, um this man. No. He 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 is the black sheep of this family. He needs to get bailed out every five years. Um not bailed out of prison, although that's happened once or twice, but like, you know, out of his situation. Sure. Um, you know, maybe to go to rehab, maybe for something else, whatever. And I went to their compound in Florida and I was like I, I couldn't believe not not only how big this place it was like 50,000 square feet or something. So not only was it enormous and just needlessly adorned with things that I guess they think represent something. I don't know. Um, well, but the wealth and that, opulence, right? Yeah. And the people that lived there carried themselves in such a way where they were almost saying to you with their eyes, why must I be in the presence of, I'm sorry, who are you? Like, all... It was it was unbearably uncomfortable, and um, and I was like, I would so rather be the black sheep of your family than part of your family that isn't the black sheep because they are soulless monsters. Like it's, it's it, I was, it was like I, I had an answer to that question that art does imitate life because, you know, you see the exaggerated characters on movies, the real life ones are just as exaggerated. It's amazing Mr. Bur to see up Mr. Close. Burns <laughs> yeah. from Simpsons. But, you know, my experience is such, such that um, I've known a lot of people with a lot of money. And most of them are pretty sweet. And, and, and they got there. They got there and they settled there um, as decent, uh, empathetic, uh, compassionate, kind, music-loving souls that you want to hang out with. That's my experience with people with money. I was in Europe a few years ago, and uh, and I was hanging out with nothing but money people, and they were all as sweet and kind as anyone you'd want to hang out with. And, I'm, and, and money was never a subject of conversation. It was usually music and food and, 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 and uh, you know outdoor activities like hey we're gonna go tomorrow yeah. and to the beach and do this thing and it was never about the money and and they were just calm and cool and 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 fun to be around so yeah there must be a great eureka moment for some self-made people who uh after they become really wealthy they they have that moment where they're like oh my god i can change the lives of people Oh, like gosh, that would those, to those me people, be the yeah. most rewarding part yeah. of having a lot of money would be like I'm going to walk around instead of you know like Bumpy Johnson the gangster in Harlem would would throw turkeys from the back of his yeah. van cuz apparently that was classy back then or something right um <laughs> or, Mel but or Melinda Gates on another level 
Yeah, right? exactly. Right. But giving but away a hundred billion. It would be fun to walk around um, like inner city schools and and find really like, holy shit, that fucking 13 year old can dunk already. And wow, he's like, you know, like killing it. I'm going to buy him an NBA trainer right now and I'm going to make sure he can get into the NBA. Or maybe the, another inner city kid is a like, you think he might be a musical genius. So you find out. <laughs> By giving that kid the opportunity to see if he can extract his gene, that would be the most. Like I can't even think of anything I would rather do, like than something like that, because I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I like to control things. But like, but also, create that 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 synchronicity you're kind of creating out of thin air is really I don't know. It's interesting. You reminded me of a story that I read yesterday online about um, how devastating. Was it an erotica story? Was it? No, was it... oddly not. It was. It was about. It was. It was a woman writing about her friend and how devastated he was because he had the ability to buy. I don't know if it was a bicycle. No, it was a sleeping bag. Here it is. Oh, I think it was Sarah Silverman that told the story. So her friend um, walked amongst homeless people every day on his way to wherever. And it's cold. Maybe it was New York City. It probably was. And and he thought, I got the money. I should, I should buy that guy I see every day one of those really expensive, really comfy, cocoon-like, down-filled sleeping bags. And how how great would that that guy would be so happy to be able to sleep like that rather than under a box, right? Yeah. So so he went and he bought the thing for you know probably a few hundred bucks. At the local, you know, department store, and he went, and he, and he, and he went to. He goes, "Here, I got you this." And the guy's reaction was, "Oh no, that's cool, man. Thanks, but I don't need that." So, huh. he, he was like kind of devastated. He'd finally done something that he thought was really nice, and but he chose to decide what was nice for that guy. The nice part of yeah. it would be not going to the kid that's really good at shooting hoops and saying, I got you this guy here to train you. Oh, oh basketball's yeah, yeah, just yeah. a hobby, man. I I don't want to do that for a living. I want to go to MIT and become a... So, 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 so Sarah yeah. said, you know, he had to come to the realization that the smartest thing to do would have been to go to the guy, hey, dude, uh, do you need... What do you need? What do you need? Like, hear what the guy mm. needs rather than assume that he needs a... You, it's not you it's yeah. the guy yeah that's really fun right Isn't it like about it what what if they need counseling i'm not being funny like what if the, like whatever they, the yeah, thing what is the, what is yeah. their choice and then that proves, facilitate that yeah that proves that <laughs> people that buy random uh, uh sleeping bags or <laughs> fantasize about giving away random scholarships are really doing it for themselves, <laughs> probably, that, right? That, like that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it just Your turns out that not... I'm not good enough as a human being to be generous quite yet. But I will. <laughs> I will work on that. <laughs> Jeff, Woods, well, you know, um, thank, we usually thank you. we usually go just under an hour, and uh, you know, my new rule uh, happily broken today. And uh, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you for coming. T time flew. Thanks, James. Oh, uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Um, one, um, great thing about talking to Jeff is that, uh, you know, when, when I have him back on a, and I'm going through like my pre-interview stuff, which I do with every guest, um, he's one of those dudes that you can't, um, picture without kind of like a, a grin on his face. Even if it's of the shit eating variety, sometimes it's still hard to picture <laughs> Jeff Woods not smiling. Um, so thank you very much, Jeff Woods for coming on the show today, tomorrow, um, 
we have Rob Rogers, who is one of the most fascinating guys. I keep on stopping myself I, 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 from calling him a kid. I have no earthly idea how old he is. He might be like 22 or like 39. I don't know, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, but he worked with John McAfee and uh, he is, uh, we might be doing a project together. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. And then I got Nate Erskine-Smith, um, Liberal MP for the beaches in Toronto on Thursday. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.